0: Please turn back with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. We're going to be studying this evening verses 18 to 29 as we bring the the account of Noah and his family to a conclusion. In particular, this evening, we're thinking about uh, the sons of Noah, Noah and his sons, the blessing and the curse, the blessing and the curse. Later this year, uh, Netflix, the now struggling streaming service, Netflix will release the final part of its hugely popular TV show, The Crown, which is a dramatised portrayal of the life of the British royal family. Uh, The show has been widely praised for its excellent acting and writing and production values. Many viewers of The Crown are avid royal watchers already, That is, they they love to follow every twist and turn of the lives of Queen Elizabeth II and her family. Uh, Other viewers have perhaps become more interested in the royal family as a result of watching this show. And uh, accounts are given of people spending a lot of time after they've watched an episode of The Crown reading about the royals on Wikipedia to see how much of what they've just watched actually matches up with what really happened Why do people care about the royal family? Maybe one or two irritated spouses or family members have asked that, the family members who watch the crown. Why do events like Edward VIII's abdication or the marriage of Charles and Diana or the latest photographs of William and Kate's children, why do these things interest people? Well, perhaps one reason is that when you boil it down, the royals are a family. Just as many of us are part of a family, the royals are fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives, uncles and aunts. And the crown, dramatised and perhaps inaccurate at times though it is, it gives people an opportunity to, if you like, sit in the living room with this family and see how they interact And yet, of course, they are no ordinary family. What they do has had an impact on millions of people, even on whole nations at times. For the Windsors, family drama is never just family drama. It it, it has national and, and it's sometimes international drama. And there's something of that dynamic here in this strange little ending to the story of Noah. On one level, what we have here quite simply is family drama, events that you could rip right out of a soap opera script. A dad gets drunk. A son does something shameful. Two other sons have to sort it out. And there's what appears to be on the surface a bit of a family row. But in fact, Noah's family drama had international implications. It's no, it's no exaggeration to say That our world, even as we know it today, is still impacted by these quite shocking and surprising events that we read about here at the end of Genesis chapter 9. And So to help us uh, work our way through this story and make sense of it, I want to focus in on each of the the main characters, if you like, of the story in turn. uh, And think about the story from each of their, uh, just in terms of what happened to them or what they did. And so first of all tonight, we're going to think about Noah. And in Noah here we see that he is not the one we were hoping for. Noah is not the one we were hoping for. We've seen over the last few weeks what a remarkably faithful, humble, godly man Noah was. We saw all through the flood story repeated several times the words that Noah did, all that God commanded him. And nothing that we read at the end of The account of Noah should change our view of him. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says that by faith Noah was an heir of righteousness. He is a shining example of godly living, of obedient faith in God. Given everything that he went through, the demands of building the ark, the persecution that he likely faced as he did so. uh, And and then coming out of the ark and worshipping God. It's no exaggeration to say that Noah is one of the greatest believers who has ever lived? But he wasn't perfect, and that's made painfully clear to us in this passage. Look at verse twenty. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. Uh, I wonder, were you not so taken aback uh, the first time you you read, you read those words? Did you have to read it a, a second time? Uh, we think, what? <laughs> Noah? The man that God said was the, the only righteous man in his generation? The, the man whose story is one of the first we tell to our children? He did what? Often you find in, in the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, then, that, that when someone does something shameful and sinful, it's described as, as quickly as possible. Uh, the, the Bible oftentimes does not like to dwell on the sordid details. And so it's told to us very quickly here. He, he, he drank, he became drunk, he lay uncovered. And again, it's similar to what we find back in Genesis 3. Eve saw the fruit she took, she ate, she gave some to her husband and he ate. Uh, dreadful events described so quickly. Now, of course, there wasn't anything wrong with Noah harvesting grapes. Uh, it's, uh, what the text means here is that he became a farmer. Likely, grapes weren't the only thing that he harvested. He, he begins doing what Adam and Abel originally did. They were, uh, they were men of the soil. The Bible never condemns making or, or drinking wine. Psalm 104 verse 15 describes wine as a gift that God has given for man to enjoy. It's getting drunk, however. That the Bible clearly and repeatedly describes as sinful. Galatians 5 verse 19 for example. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. And it goes on verse 21. Drunkenness, orgies and things like these. Those who do such things Paul says. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness, if it remains an unrepented sin, is a sin that will condemn you to punishment in hell. Calvin says here of this passage, we are to learn here what a filthy and detestable crime drunkenness is. He goes on to say that Noah's utter embarrassment, this what he describes as an eternal mark of dishonor against Noah's name, it, it serves as a warning to all of us who, like Noah, are part of God's family. We should never allow ourselves to fall into this type of scandalous sin. Not only should we never be drunk, but we should be on our guards, friend, on our guard, lest we fall into any kind of shameful, embarrassing, publicly scandalous sin. Noah's drunkenness didn't mean that he wasn't really a believer. It wasn't something that God couldn't or wouldn't forgive. But it was a tragic fall nonetheless. Christian, we are to mark it. We are to learn from it. We are to be on our guard against it. The writer in Proverbs says, I saw it and I took it to heart. And that's what we're to do here with this sad story of Noah. We are to see it. We are to take it to heart. You might think, well, I'm not too worried about this happening to me. There's not a drop of alcohol in my house, you might might say. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, nonetheless, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Maybe we won't commit sins that make the front page or get talked about on social media. But do we want our children to see sudden losses of temper? Do we want them to hear or see parents belittling each other? insulting each other? Do we want colleagues to hear us laughing along with everyone else at some tawdry joke or gossip? Or when friends or colleagues start talking about their own drunkenness or foolishness from the weekend, do we just sort of smile as if it's no big deal? Do we want non-Christians hearing about splits or divisions or spite in the church and coming to their own conclusions about the Christian church as a result Friends, if Noah could make such a mess as this, let's not think that we couldn't also. This man of immense faith, immense faith. That's why we need to pray daily, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. We need to be on our guard against him, we need to have our armour on, our minds and hearts filled with God's truth to avoid these kinds of falls. And perhaps we might say as well, it's been pointed out by other writers and preachers that we need to be on our guard, particularly after what you might call spiritual high points in the Christian life. Noah has just come through the flood, he's been brought through it, he's been brought into a new world, he's the the head of a new humanity, he's received God's blessing and God's covenant. Next thing we know, he's passed out drunk. We need to be on our guard on a Lord's Day morning or evening or a Monday morning as a new week begins for most of you out in the world. We need to be on our guard when the church has just elected new office bearers. Or when we've been to the Lord's table. Or when we've witnessed to a non-Christian loved one. Satan loves to get in and disrupt and tempt and ruin in such times. That anyone who thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. But as well as that, friends, another lesson just to take as we think about Noah here. And uh, This is really uh, in terms of our, our understanding of the, the big picture, you might say, of, of God's word. Uh, Noah's shameful actions here tell us that Noah is not the one we were hoping for. We have to zoom out a little bit from the embarrassing scenes at Noah's tent and, and remember the big picture of Genesis. Remember that back in Genesis 3.15, God, in cursing Satan, the serpent, he promised that a serpent crusher would come. That there would be someone come from the line of Adam and Eve who would undo the curse of sin and undo the work of the devil. And we're waiting and we're waiting for that serpent crusher to appear. Noah's father, Lamech, hoped that it might be his son. In Genesis five twenty nine, when Noah was born, Lamech said, This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. But even though Noah was righteous and even though he was used by God for great things and building the ark and coming through the flood, this incident proves that Noah is not the serpent crusher. He's not going to bring the ultimate rest and peace to the world. Verse 29 ends Noah's story in the same way as almost everyone else in Genesis so far. He died. He died. The wait for God's chosen servant goes on. And in the rather sorry end to the story of Noah, we have a warning, friends, to guard against sin. To keep on walking humbly with our God. So Noah, not the one we were hoping for. But secondly, in this story, I want to think about Ham. And in Ham, we see a horrible sin and a curse on Canaan. With Ham, we have a horrible sin and a curse on Canaan. I mentioned earlier, the Hebrew language often describes uh, shameful actions very quickly. It does that with Noah. It does that also here with Ham. If you look at verse 22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now that sounds in in some ways very innocent on the surface. But in case we should miss the seriousness of this, just look at Noah's reaction in verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Now, Canaan's name suddenly appears here. Well, actually, it's not so suddenly. His name is mentioned twice before this incident. Uh, We're told twice uh, before Ham does this that he was the father of Canaan. Uh, But notice, friends, that it's Ham's behavior that prompts his father Noah to pronounce a curse. You might think, why? Was 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 Ham's sin really all that bad? You might even wonder, what was his sin? Well, the language makes clear in verse 22 that Ham told his brothers about Noah's drunkenness in order to make a mockery of his father with his brothers. This was not Ham going out a bit embarrassed and saying to the brothers, what are we going to do about this? This was Ham going out to his brothers to have a laugh with them about the state their father was in. And if that doesn't sound all that bad to you and I, it's only because we live in a culture that to a large extent does not encourage children to honor their parents at all. And which is very little concept of shame and honor. Noah and his family lived, of course, in the ancient Eastern world. Shame and honor were fundamental, of fundamental importance in that culture. And, and they still are in many Middle Eastern and Asian cultures today. And in the ancient world, the most important people in many ways in your life were your parents. And honouring parents was a sacred duty. Even pagan teachings outside the Bible from the ancient world, they emphasised the importance of children obeying and showing honour to their parents. And of course, the law of God given through Moses emphasised the same point. Of course, we have it in the Ten Commandments. Honour your father and mother. Children could be put to death in the civil law in Israel for dishonouring their parents. Exodus 21 verse 15. Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. And again, if any of this sounds over the top, friends, it only goes to show how far away we are from the standards of God's law. I'm not suggesting that we need the death penalty today for disobedient children. That part of God's law has passed away. It's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. His death on the cross brings those civil uh, punishments to an end. But nonetheless, we need to realise how despicable in God's sight is the disobedience and disrespect of children to their parents. Parents hold God-given authority to teach, to to protect, to direct their children. The children who rebel against that authority are rebelling against God himself. And there were serious consequences for Ham and indeed for one of Ham's sons, Canaan. Noah speaks for the first time in the whole book in verse 25. The first recorded word out of his mouth is the word cursed. Cursed. God had pronounced a curse on Cain for the murder of his brother Abel. And now Noah announces a curse on the son of Ham, his grandson Canaan. Three times Noah says that Ham's son Canaan will be a servant. Some of your translations will say slave. Slave. To Noah's other sons, Shem and Japheth, they're going to be superior uh, to, we assume, to Ham and his his son Canaan. Uh, They're going to be in opposition to one another. And Shem and Japheth, in the long run at least, are going to be in triumph, if you like, over Ham and Canaan. Now, we just don't know exactly why Noah cursed Ham's son instead of cursing Ham himself. We are, however, told twice, as I said, in verse 19 and again in verse 22, that Ham was the father of Canaan. Moses obviously wants to emphasize that to us even before the incident happens. Whether that means that Canaan was involved in Ham's sin, whether Noah was cursing Ham's youngest son because Ham was Noah's youngest son, we don't know. We do know, however, that Noah's words about Canaan were eventually fulfilled. Canaan was, of course, the ancestor of several pagan tribes who lived in what became known as the Promised Land, the land that Abraham and his descendants would come to occupy, the land of Canaan itself, named after this son of Ham. And eventually, because of the persistent sins of Canaan and his descendants, God destroyed them. He wiped them out. Noah's curse on Canaan came to pass but aside from those international implications friends the sin of ham again as was the sin of noah is a warning to us perhaps we consider a young man sniggering at a drunken father a pretty small thing there are worse sins in the world we might think far more awful things happen than that every day But Noah's reaction to Ham, and some would argue it was God speaking through Noah, it emphasizes to us the seriousness of any sin. Some sins have worse consequences than others. Uh, Some are more appalling than others. But friends, in God's sight, any sin is disgusting, disgraceful, shameful, and cursed. Here was Ham mocking the man that God had chosen to build the ark and bring in a new era after the flood. Here was Ham mocking his own father, who, yes, has failed badly on this occasion, but who nonetheless was righteous in God's sight. Ham didn't call him righteous. Ham called him a joke. Ham took delight in spreading on the, gro- the gossip to his brothers. Lads, he'll never guess what. Look what this old idiot has done. Do we take delight in exposing the faults of others? Do we feel superior when some well-respected person suddenly gets found out for some mistake or shameful incident? Can we not keep a scandal to ourselves? We just have to pass it on. Gossip isn't just passing on lies about someone. Sometimes gossip is unnecessarily repeating something about someone. Uh, even if it's true. It just doesn't need to go any further. And such, fr- such sins deserve God's curse. Such sins cause God's anger to flare. Such sins will be punished in the same fires of hell as murder, sexual abuse, rape, Drunkenness, those sort of scandalous sins, the sort of sins that our shameless culture would still call shameful. And there's a warning here for all of us in our families as well, friends. Isn't it true that as parents, as well as passing on quirks or physical resemblances to our children, we can also pass on our sinful tendencies. We see the same impatience that we know is in ourselves. We see the same selfishness. We can only assume from God cursing Canaan that Canaan inherited some of Ham's worst qualities. John Calvin says God never punishes innocence. We don't know why exactly Canaan's name appears here instead of Ham but we know for sure that Canaan was not an innocent man and neither were his descendants. The rest of the Old Testament makes that very clear. And so parents... I was going to say it goes without saying, but we must say it again tonight. We must be in earnest prayer for the lives of our children. Ephesians 6 verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers and mothers, none of us are perfect. We're so painfully aware of that. All the more reason then to plead for God's grace in our family life. That our children wouldn't live under a curse and shame, but under blessing and joyful obedience to the Lord God. So Noah was not the one we were hoping for. In Ham we see a horrible sin and a curse on Canaan. But thirdly and finally and more positively, in Shem and Japheth we see sharing God's blessing. Shem and Japheth sharing in God's blessing. The sins of Noah and Ham are described as quickly as possible. The honourable actions of Shem and Japheth are given more detail. If you look at verse 23. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. Notice the extra detail. It's almost given to us twice over there. Uh, The the lengths these brothers go to, friends, to avoid looking on the shame of their father. That's what Ham should have done. Even if if he couldn't have avoided seeing Noah's shame in the first instance, this is what he should have done immediately after he saw it. And the honorable actions of Shem and Japheth are recognized by Noah Again, Calvin and others think that perhaps Noah is prophesying here when he speaks. Uh, We don't really know for sure. But look what he says, excuse me, in verse 26. Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Shem. Notice there that Noah simply praises, blesses Shem's God. Uh, the, The implication being that Shem here shares the faith of his father. He has the same salvation as his father has any blessing that comes to Shem comes because he knows uh, the God of Noah. Noah goes on, verse 27 May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And so Shem here is given the primary blessing. Shem is the oldest son, and the firstborn son often got the lion's share of the family inheritance. Uh, But Noah speaks here of a close relationship, a a shared blessing between Shem and Japheth. Let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem, he says. The implication being that Shem has the greater blessing to give and to share with his brother. You might be wondering, what is all this about? Why does this even matter, this blessing for for Shem and, and Japheth? Well, Shem became the father of the Semite people. Shem, Sem, Semite. Uh, You maybe hear the words anti-Semite these days more than you hear Semite. If someone is anti-Semite, they're they're anti-Jewish. They have some prejudice against Jewish people. So the Semites, the, the Jews, the Israelites, they came from the line of Shem. The people God would choose out of all the nations of the world to be his covenant people who would worship in the promised land, at God's temple. They came from Shem. Japheth, on the other hand, became the father of uh, what you might call the Indo-European people. The sons of Japheth, we'll we'll get into this next week, God willing, but the sons of Japheth spread out, uh, according to Genesis 10, to what is now southern Russia, Turkey, Greece and mainland Europe. Those are the descendants of Japheth. And for a very long time, there was really no interaction between the sons of Shem and the sons of Japheth. But then hundreds of years later, a baby boy arrived in the arms of a young woman called Mary. And one of the first people to see that baby boy was an elderly Israelite man named Simeon. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, Simeon declared that this boy would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's the sons of Japheth and Ham. And for glory to your people, Israel, the sons of Shem. He was speaking, of course, about Jesus Christ, the savior of all the nations. That's why the Apostle Paul, one of the proudest, staunchest, pure-blooded Semites who ever lived, eventually wrote in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus was born into the Jewish nation. He was raised a Jew. He worshipped as a Jew. And when he was crucified. There was a sign above his head that said. This is the king of the Jews. That Jesus extends forgiveness and salvation. To all people. Jews and Gentiles. And so friends in the person. The work and the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find in the fullest sense. The blessing of God on Shem shared with Japheth. One of Japheth's descendants was named Javan, Genesis 10, verse 2. Javan settled in what we know today as the land of Greece. So just consider this. The first section of our Bibles, the Old Testament, is written in the language of Shem, Hebrew, the second section of our Bibles is written in the language of Japheth, Greek. You and I are quite possibly descendants of Japheth, but along with the descendants of Shem, we are all sons of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Shem and Japheth shared together in covering over Noah's shame. Shem and Japheth also share together in having our own shameful sins covered over by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And This is why there is no room, friends, for racial prejudice in a Christian or indeed in a church. Absolutely none. Male and female, rich and poor, black, white or brown. We are one united people saved by the grace of God. I don't even, I've said this before and I've heard uh, preachers of of other skin colours say this as well. I don't even like talking about uh, people being from a different race, meaning they're of a different skin colour. We're all of one, we're all of the same race, we're of the human race. Different nations and tribes and cultures nonetheless. But in Christ Jesus, we are one united people. What about Ham? Ham? Where does he fit in this uh, blessing that's shared between Shem and Japheth? Well, notice only one of his descendants is totally cursed. Uh, yes, the Canaanites were wiped out. And remember, it's always important they were not arbitrarily or maliciously wiped out. They were wiped out because they were a, a grossly sinful people. Uh, we read a little bit of that earlier in Deuteronomy 7. Similarly, in Leviticus 18 verse 27, God says through Moses, the people of the land who were before you, that's the descendants of Canaan, did all of these abominations. So the land became unclean. Amongst the things that the Canaanites did was child sacrifice and all kinds of despicable sins. And that's why God destroyed the Canaanites. And that's what God will ultimately do, friends, with those who walk in pride, selfishness, sexual immorality, drunkenness. He will wipe them out. There are no Canaanites in the world today. But there are still other sons of Ham. Egyptians, Syrians, Africans, many others. And they, like us, are welcome to take refuge in the tents of Shem. Isaiah 19, verse 24. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. There's Shem and Ham and Japheth, all called the people of God. And so, friends, as we close, perhaps this story isn't so sad and strange after all. Here's God doing what God does all through Scripture, overcoming human sin, working all things together for good. We are all by nature just like Ham. We have mocked and ridiculed the one who made us, even though he, unlike Noah, has never done anything deserving of mockery or ridicule. We've shaken our fists at the one to whom we owe our lives. We have turned to our own ways instead of going God's way. But the serpent crusher has come. He has paid the price for all of our sins. So that regardless of our skin color, our background, our family circumstances, we might all dwell together. In the household of God. And joyfully declare. In the name of Jesus Christ. Behold what manner of love is this. That we should be called. Children of God. Amen.